Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. I'm, I'm always excited to be with you uh, because you are my family. Uh, but I'm also excited whenever we get to see faces that have been, you know, they're still family, but we don't get to see them as often anymore. And we've, we've got three different families uh, all over here sitting together, uh, maybe four, but, you know, three, three different families. And uh, that, that's such a blessing to be able to, to realize that our family extends beyond these walls. Our, our family is bigger than that. And eventually, one day, our family will be together in heaven with no walls, and that will be even more amazing. So what a, what a blessing it is to be able to come together and worship together. Imagine, if you will, walking on the sandy beaches of South Florida, and as you uh, go from uh, just looking at the beauty of God's creation and you're looking at the things around you, uh, off in the distance you see this tree. It's beautiful. Uh, you, you, you know, Florida beaches tend to have a certain look to them whenever you look at the trees. And this one is definitely, it doesn't look like that. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, and you're kind of walking along and shuffling your feet in the sand and, and uh, you see this piece of beauty. You get a little closer and you see that the tree is covered in little fruits. Uh, and they're, again, beautiful little fruits. They're, they're small, but uh, they're all over the tree, and they're, they're quite beautiful. And you decide that you're going to go up and you're going to grab one of these little apples off of this tree. And as you get close to the tree, you come across this. I know you probably can't read that, so let me read the sign for you. It says, warning, manchineal tree. The leaves, bark, and fruit of these trees contain a caustic sap which may be injurious if touched. Columbus described the small green fruits as death apples. The trees are common along Caribbean shores. Avoid contact with any part of this tree. Who, who's grabbing one of those to eat? And anyone, anyone hungry enough to attempt it? This tree has been dubbed the world's deadliest tree. Being under the tree while it rains will burn your skin. The fruit will cause blisters to pop up all over your mouth and cause internal injuries. If you burn the wood of this particular tree, it will cause blindness. It is an extremely toxic tree, dangerous to even touch it because the sap that is so dangerous in this tree literally is in every piece of bark. It's inside of every leaf and, of course, in the tree itself. It would be foolish for any one of us to go along those sandy beaches and to see this tree and see the warning and go, ah, that doesn't apply to me. I'm tough. 
we'd all laugh that person straight into a hospital room. Like that, we would find that ridiculous. But you know, we do that with sin. Because scripture is filled with warnings for us regarding sin. You know, we look at stories like Adam and Eve, which essentially went to a tree that they had been warned to not eat or touch. They grabbed the fruit off the tree and took a bite. Sound similar to our story? We're dumb enough to do this because Adam and Eve were dumb enough to do this. And we look at them and we say, what in the world were they thinking? God told them, don't do it. So does that sign. Yet I guarantee you there have been people through history who have walked along the sandy beaches of Florida and they have seen this bright red sign that says, warning, do not eat. And one of their friends says, I dare you. And they end up in the hospital. It, it's one of those things of it's just our nature to not believe the warnings and to be willing to make foolish decisions even though we've been told not to. Cain is warned by God, yet what does he do? He goes and kills his brother. Samson is warned to quit fraternizing with the enemy and going and looking for a wife among those who were, he was supposed to despise, the people he was supposed to destroy, and yet he still went and found women there and played with sin. Jeroboam is warned that if he follows God, he will do well, but if he doesn't follow God, the kingdom will be ripped away from him too, and what does he do? He sets up idol worship of both the northern and the southern sections of Israel. Over and over and over again, as you go through Scripture, we are warned against sin, and yet we do it anyway because we are just that kind of people. And so Randy read a passage for us a few minutes ago that had a list of sins in it. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the thieves, the drunkards, they're all caution. Don't be involved in those sins. Such people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 has what we call the works of the flesh. And it includes sexual immorality, immoral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. Don't get involved in those sins. And probably all of us listened to those lists and went, okay, I'm not doing any of that. I hope we're all saying that. But the issue becomes, what do we do about what I like to call invisible sins. You know, oftentimes it's pretty easy to avoid murdering somebody because we know if we murder somebody, we're going to get caught and then we're going to be thrown in jail as a murderer. What about greed or envy or jealousy or anger or so many of the other sins? See, turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In this passage that Randy read earlier, it, it's interesting that there are some sins that I think we all would go, okay, yeah, I, I'm not going to get involved in those. And we look there and we see 
sexual immoral, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, thieves. We, we go, okay, yeah, I, I can avoid all of that. But what about the next ones? Greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers. Or if you look over in Galatians chapter 5 again, uh, there are those works of the flesh, the ones we listed earlier. We're going, okay, yeah, I, I can avoid those. I'm not going to get involved in murdering people. I, I have no plans to commit adultery. I'm not a, prom, a promiscuous person. But what about hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. Are, are we so boldly confident that we're not involving ourselves in those sins? There's another list that we find over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think I'm wrong. I think it is 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Now, I really want you to pay attention to this list of sins that Paul gives Timothy here because it is not your typical list of sins. Our, our typical list includes the big sins, like, like the visible sins, the ones that we are, we're good at avoiding the typical list of sins are things that we can look at and go, okay, I'm not doing any of those things, and of course, I don't surround myself with people who do those things. Very few of us are close friends with a murderer. But listen to this list. Starting in verse 2, it says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. Oof. I mean, talk about a punch to the gut. Does that hit you the way it hits me? It, is that so easy to say, yeah, I don't do any of those? It is, e is it easy to look at that list that Paul gives Timothy there and say, okay, yeah, I, I avoid those kind of people. I'm not around those kind of people until I look in the bathroom mirror. Because the truth is, that list, it describes most everybody I know. That list is a slap across the face. And I think Paul meant that for Timothy. I think Paul is helping us recognize that life isn't just about the avoidance 
of the big sins. It is also about the crafting of a character that is opposed to the invisible sins. And I don't know that I do that well enough. And in case we're so quick to to try to excuse ourselves and say, well, you know, but I, yes, maybe one or two of those I struggle with, but it's not a big deal. It's not something that I, I worry about too much because I, as, a, as a whole, I'm a really good person. As a whole, I, I've got, as we just sang, grace. And therefore, I don't got to worry about that. Here's why I think we need to start worrying a little more. There is a character in Scripture that we give the worst rap ever. He is the by far top dog center most wanted that you have on the entire list of Bible characters, and his name is Judas Iscariot. We, we look at that man, his name has become synonymous with traitor. His name has become uh, the, the, a despised name. We don't look at people and, and call them Judas Iscariot as a compliment, do we? Not, not at all. He, his name is, is, is likened to Benedict Arnold. Which, well, we know more about Judas Iscariot probably most of us than we do Benedict Arnold. The truth is, Judas really was very much like one of us. He was a promising man. He, he was chosen as one of the disciples. He, he's one of 12 men among the dozens, if not hundreds, that Jesus had available to him. And Jesus said, I want that one to be one of the few. I want that one to follow me everywhere I go, that one to learn from me. I want that one to be somebody who, who hears my teaching and who goes with me in and out of every town and sees the miracles and is involved in our lives, he is promising. He is a good man. He is somebody that we want to follow us. But it's interesting that by the end of the story, in every list, whether it be Matthew chapter 10, Mark 3, Luke chapter 6, he's always listed last. And in every list, he is rem we are reminded, Judas the one who betrayed Jesus. What's he known for? His betrayal. Well, the question becomes, why? See, it's interesting. When you do a little survey of the life of Judas, you find he, he's different than the other disciples. Uh, it, it is possible, it, people debate on what the, the term Iscariot means, they think probably it means he was from a town that was down in Judah. He's not from Galilee like the other 11 apostles. He was different than them. He came from a different region and possibly even came from Idumean uh, descent, meaning he was from Edom. Not directly, but somewhere back in the past, he comes from a, a kind of a foreigner's place. He's not wholly Jewish and the way that we often think of the Jews and the way that they kind of preserve their purity of, of descendancy. He's different. But you also find he's, he's trusted. The reason I say that is because if you look at Judas and you compare him to the other disciples, we know he had a job among the disciples that, that was unique to him. He was the treasurer. 
he carried the money back. He was the one who, who he kind of, if something needed to be paid for, Judith, go pay for it. You're the one that carries the money. You're the trusted person. I find that interesting because knowing as little as we do about Judith's background, we do know that Matthew was a money handler. That was his job. He was a tax collector. He collected and handled money for a living, yet they didn't choose Matthew to hold the money back. My guess is, and this is entirely speculation, Matthew was a tax collector. They're not the ones you turn to for financial uh, foresight and the ones who are going to handle it the most honestly. So let's choose Judas. What does that mean about Judas, though? They did expect him to handle it honestly. And it's interesting, when you look at the story over in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, you've got the story here of Jesus in the upper room. And in chapter 13, for most of it, Judas is still with them. He has not left them in order to go grab the soldiers in order to betray Jesus. And it's interesting here that in this story, uh, Jesus says, and I'm going to start reading in verse 26, He's the one, or talking about the one who's going to betray him, he says, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. Now, I don't know how you miss that. He dips, he says, it's going to be the one I give this to here. Like, how do you miss that is Judas in that case. Unless maybe he dipped more than one piece and he, he hands it out to all of them because there's a sense in which they all betray him, they all run, they all kind of desert Jesus at the last moment. So maybe there's that going on. We're not told. But here's what I want you to notice. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. So he gives Judas a piece of bread, directly to Judas, it says. Then he says, go do what you're going to do quickly. Keep reading. None of those reclining at the table knew why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately left, and it was night. I want you to note here, Jesus makes the answer as obvious as possible. If the one I dip this bread and I give to, he gives it to Judas, and they still don't believe Judas would betray Jesus. They can't fathom that idea. This is something that is so off kilter for them that they assume what Jesus says when he says go do the job you have to do that well he's just going out to give some money to the poor what a good man what what an upstanding and and remarkable man Judas is that that's how the rest of them view him that's how we view one another isn't it We walk into this auditorium week after week and we see one another in our nice clothes and everything's been pressed and ironed and we've all showered, hopefully. Most of us look very presentable. I won't identify who's not, doesn't qualify there. 
we, we, are, we, we put on this, this wonderful presentation of who we are. And, and we come together and we discuss the Bible and we make such good comments about the Bible. Even very uh, pointed and, and, and you know, comments that, that we all go, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, I, that's absolutely right. That's wonderful. I, I love the insight that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so has. And we hear one another pray, and we, we get to hear one another sing songs, and, and we all come together, and we spend some time focusing on God, and we all assume all of us are good. We're all good. We're good people. We're in a good situation. We're all right before God. Everything is hunky-dory. Nobody's struggling with anything. We're all good. And there are some Judases in here. And I don't mean Judases in the sense of betrayers, but there are some of us who are holding back. There are some of us who are struggling with something invisible. There are some of us who are, who are hiding our sins and our temptation because what you, as you keep going and looking at the story of Jesus, you find that he's been struggling for a while. He's somebody who has, who has not been making good choices. There in chapter 13, verse 2 through 3, it says, Now when it's time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Jesus, or heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything to his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. You look down at verse 11. Jesus knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean as he washes their feet. You look there in verse 18. I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Verse 19. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. And then he announces it, as we've already read. This is something Judas has been thinking about and pouring over and planning. It's something that has, that has been a part of what he's, he's thinking and a part of what he's doing. You find even earlier in chapter 12, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in. This is something Judas has been struggling about secretly for a while. Jesus knew, but no one else did. I, and I wonder sometimes, that's not a good description of you and me too. That we struggle with it for a while. We struggle with, with these invisible sins, these things that we've kept hidden, but, but nobody knows about them, and so we just keep putting that smile on our face Sunday after Sunday. And we put on our nice clothes, and we come in here, and we worship together like nothing's wrong. And inside we're breaking, or inside we're, we're fidgeting, we're going, I hope nobody knows. Inside we're fighting about who we really are and how, 
you know, maybe all these other people are just like me. Maybe they're all fake too. And we struggle. I think it's great that Jesus is known by Jesus, and, and Jesus warns him. I love there in chapter 13 what we just read there in verse 19. I am telling you now before it happened so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I, I don't think Jesus is just talking to the 11 when he says that. I think he's also talking to Judas. When all of this plays out and you realize what has happened and what you have done, I hope you will come back to this moment and realize Jesus knew and he still washed my feet. Jesus knew and he still served me and loved me. Jesus will take me back. Now we know that's not the end of Judas' story, that he goes and because of his invisible sin, he desires so much to, to get more money that he goes and betrays Jesus for those 30 pieces of silver, but that when Jesus is arrested and it becomes obvious that Jesus is going to be crucified, he goes back to the, to the court and he, he tries to give the money back and make things good because he's remorseful about what he's done. And I, I kind of wonder if he thought, well, Jesus has escaped death before he'll just escape death again. I might as well profit off of it. But when it doesn't happen that way, he's remorseful and he wants to give it back and they won't take it and he throws the money down and he goes out and he hangs himself. Brothers and sisters, that is the end of invisible sin. That's where it leads. When we struggle with sin secretly, we lose hope. We lose any opportunity or, or, or expectation that things are going to get better. And then we end up hanging ourselves. Maybe not literally, but figuratively for sure. See, the truth is, invisible sins affect the faithful too. They affect us. And, and I think that's the reason Paul, in his list that he gives to Timothy over in 2 Timothy 3, the, he gives them a long list of things that aren't the obvious visible sins that, we're, that we can look at other people and see, but he gives us the list of invisible sins that we have to look inside to see. Because they are sins we need to deal with, even those of us who are faithful. Invisible sins are abundant. I, I, again, I, I find it interesting that the list we have in 1 Corinthians 6, there's a few things. The list we have in Galatians, there's a few things. The list we have in 2 Timothy 3 is about twice, if not three times as long as the other list. And I think the reason is, I think Paul is helping us to recognize it, th there's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of things we can be struggling with. There's a lot of difficulties that we face when we're trying to live different than this world and belong to Jesus. Invisible sins, they're tricky. They're tricky because we think they're not as big of a deal. They're tricky because we like to think that we can get away with them. 
Because when it comes to our reputation or the way the world sees us, oftentimes we can. We can get away with them. The world doesn't need to know about your envy and, and your struggles that you deal with whenever you're thinking about all the things everybody else has and how little you have. And the world doesn't need to know about how angry you are inside at the way the world is going and the bad decisions that are being made and how you're on the verge of, of bursting all the time. And the world doesn't need to know about all those bad thoughts you've had about some person They're tricky because the only reason we deal with invisible sins is not because we're confronted with them, but because we decide to confront those sins. And that, that's where I think this comes down to a lot of time. We are good at dealing with the sins that confront us first. And we are bad at dealing with the sins that we have to take the step to confront. Invisible sins are often traps. But just, just think about the sin of, of pride for a moment. You know what's difficult about pride? That a proud person will never admit that they have a problem with pride. They just won't. Or, or the, the problem of greed. You know what the problem of greed is? It's that the solution to it is always the next paycheck, the next raise, the next advance. It's that next little bit of money. Well, if I just had that little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. No. Then you just want more. Because the problem is not the amount. The problem is the heart that's seeking more. You know, invisible sins, because we deal with them ourselves and we, we hide them from the world and we don't want anybody to know about them, is that the most wisdom we ever fight them with is our own. And our own wisdom is what has let us be trapped in the first place. Invisible sins are invisible killers. That was the case with Judas, wasn't it? I mean, you look at Judas's life. The, the problem with Judas wasn't that he didn't believe in Jesus. Oh, maybe you can make that claim. I, I kind of wonder if he didn't believe so much in what Jesus was capable of that he thought, well, then, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He can't die. It doesn't matter who comes up against Jesus. He, he, he's good until he sits on his throne. Like, he, his throne is forever. He is here to stay, so I, I can go profit off of that. It wasn't that he believed too little. It, it was it's that he believed the wrong thing. And oftentimes, that's the way invisible sins work, is that they cause us to believe the wrong thing for so long that all of a sudden, by the end of it, we're, we're, we're trapped, and, and, and when we finally get found out, we're so embarrassed, we're so, the world is so shocked that all of a sudden the only way we know to get out of it is just be done. Invisible sins are eventually revealed. 
couple of passages about that. Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Previously in Luke, Jesus says, nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light, Luke 8, 17. Apply that to what we're talking about today. What sin is there that you can fully, completely get away with? There isn't one. You'll be found out. Now maybe you'll keep people duped. You'll never trick God. You'll never convince God that you're, you're perfect. You'll never convince God that, that you have everything in order because God knows. And I'm going to tell you, invisible sins require visibility to be cured. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one needed quality among Christians in the world today is transparency. That's what's needed. Uh, we don't need more perfection. Because I'll be honest, the pursuit of that is what's killing us. It, because it's making us keep things hidden that need to be brought out into the light. What, what we need is a humility that allows others to know our struggles so that we can become better. And that's what we're missing so much in the church. So I want to put up here for you the list of of sin. I, I don't know how well you can read that. Hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, greedy people, verbally abusive people, swindlers, lovers of money, lovers of, of self, boastful, prou proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, lacking self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power in anything similar. That, that, that's the list that we read earlier from those three passages of Scripture. And I want to ask you, are you struggling? Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Because I'll be honest, probably most of us had an immediate response to that question, and then we started arguing with ourselves. Like, that, that's typically the way we go about this. Yet, no, well, babe, ah. Are you struggling? I, I don't know about what, but uh, something on that list. One of these invisible sins. Are you, are you struggling? 
with it? Are you fighting it? Because I am. I am. I could go down the list and tell you how I've failed in quite a few of these categories recently. I look at the sin of pride, and, and I know it, it's one of those things that's difficult because nobody wants to admit they're proud. It's pride that stops you from admitting that you fight pride. And the very fact that I'm unwilling to admit it probably is a, a display for me, an example of how I'm struggling with it. Or if I'm talking about hatred, oftentimes the people we hate, the problem is we don't actually hate those people. What we hate is what the devil has done in their lives. But we find that this, this hatred of people that we disagree with, and maybe we wouldn't call it hatred, maybe we call it, I just don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm going to tell you right now that's hatred. Or that feeling of, you know what, I, I just, I, 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 they can have what they want, I'm done with them. That's hatred. And honestly, many of us probably feel that way about people we don't know more than we do about people we actually know. Especially in our country right now, how divided it is. We struggle with that. We struggle with selfish ambition. I can't tell you how many times my wife has made fun of me over the years because of businesses I've started. You know how many businesses I've bought into for a pursuit of selfish ambition? Shame on me. Maybe the problem's envy. I spend all my time distracted from what really matters, thinking about what other people have and what I don't have and how can they have this and I work just as hard as they do and why is it that they've got and I don't and, 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 and then I have all of these battles in myself when the truth is the answer is found in Scripture. God gave me what I need to have. That's enough. But that pursuit of more, 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 more because others have or maybe I'm a slanderer, and I might not slander people to their face, but man, I talk about them behind their back. Or I'll say things on social media that I would never say with my actual mouth, but man, it feels good to get it out. Or I'll talk bad about government or politicians or leaders or this boss or this, this group of people or, or whatever it is. Maybe I fight with ingratitude. Part of what leads to greed and envy. But I'm going to tell you, we live in a world that is entirely ungrateful. And we worship in churches that are the same way. We fight ingratitude. And when we're told specifically, in every circumstance, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are commanded to give thanks no matter what. But we struggle with ingratitude. Maybe we struggle with unholiness. 
you know, holiness is that idea of making something, making, making uh, an object or a, a, something set apart and special used only for God. That's supposed to be you and me. Be holy because I am holy, we're told. Both Old Testament and New Testament has that commandment in it. You are to be holy. Are you? I want to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to ask that our elders, actually, all, all three of them that are here, get up and stand in the back. Um, sorry, Keith, I warned the other two and didn't get a chance to talk to you, but I, I want you all to go stand in the back, if you don't mind. And we're going to try something a little bit different. First of all, I'm going to ask you, if you struggle with one of these things, I want you to stand up. Stand with me and admit that you struggle. I hope you mean it. I hope you're not standing just because everybody else is standing. I don't want to be the odd person sitting down. I hope you mean it. I hope you have looked at this list and you have pinpointed, I struggle with that and that and that and that. We struggle. The reason I ask the elders to go stand in the back is because we have a, a habit, a tradition of asking people to take what I call as the walk of shame, walk down the aisle all the way to the front, fruit, front, front pew. Every eye is on you. Every, you, know, you know everybody's going, well, what's their problem? What they do? None of us can ask that question today because we're all standing. But I want the elders to stand in the back because I, I want to give you an opportunity to not take a walk of shame, but to go to those men in the back and ask for help. Little, little less eyes on you, all the eyes being on God. I, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, and hopefully you'll feel motivated to say, yes, yes, I, I can do that. I, I wouldn't have walked forward for this. I wouldn't have bothered everybody and taken up their time to do this coming forward, but I'll go to the back and have a private conversation with a man that I love, and I know he loves me. Because brothers and sisters, we have to deal with our invisible sins. We need to fix that. And I hope you'll take an advantage of doing that. We serve a God who forgives. We serve a God who also has a high expectation. And I, I hope you will look around this room and say, you know what? We are all struggling together. But I also hope you'll look at yourself and say, okay, but I have to quit struggling alone. Today's your day to get help. And I hope you'll take advantage of it. This is also the time we traditionally ask those who might, might not have dealt with their sins. They might not have, have, have 
had their sins washed away in baptism and made that commitment in serving the Lord. I, I tell you, if you're standing, you need forgiveness. And whether that comes for you as a child of God through praying and having others pray with you, or whether that comes for you someone who doesn't yet belong to God and you need to have your sins washed away in baptism, please don't leave this room today without dealing with your sins. And so I hope if you're not a child of God, you'll come forward. And I'll help you with that while the elders stand in the back and help the flock here with the things they are fighting. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please let us know. Either come forward to be baptized or head to the back for prayers, and we will, we will deal with those things accordingly. Let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.